Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please.
showed on Oprah Winfrey Network, which was shot for Matthew Callis. It was produced by uh, Christopher Lockhart, who's been a guest on our show. And uh, you're going to want to go back and listen to Chris's uh, conversations with me as well. Along with his documentary work, Abduhan has shot and directed over 100 commercials and corporate branding films for national advertisers such as Anthem Blue Cross, Toyota Lexus, Mitsubishi Motors, M&I Bank, and the John Deere Company. Abduhan's latest narrative effort is the short film Reboot, directed by Joe Kowalski. I hope I said that right. Kawasaki, sorry, Joe Kawasaki. This uh, cyberpunk thriller is a Kickstarter is is a Kickstarter funded project and represents the cinematographer's first foray into the world of independent fiction film. Kurt is a self-taught director of photography, learning his way around the set by working as a PA, a grip, an electrician, camera operator, and gaffer. Uh, Kurt's credits credits his interest in becoming a cinematographer to past ASC uh, president Darren Okada, a childhood family friend. Darren was brave enough to follow his passion at a young age, even though the odds were against him, says Kirk. His dedication to the craft and his encouragement uh, for me to make his own mark in this industry is something I will always be grateful for. Now, Abduhan will be making his directorial debut in fiction film with his short Anniversary. Production is scheduled for the spring of this year, 2012, with the primary funding coming from crowdsourcing community of Kickstarter. Now, prior to his career as a featured documentary cinematographer, Abduhan made his living as a commercial producer and production company owner. In his past life, uh, he had earned a bachelor of arts degree in business marketing from California State University Fullerton and subsequently worked for General Foods, Honeywell, and U.S. Sprint. And so, without any further hesitation, let me bring Kurt on. Good morning, Kurt. How are you doing? Good morning, Rex. Doing great. Snow's in the mountains. It's like 46 degrees in L.A., believe it or not. And uh, as soon as I'm done here, I'm heading up to Mammoth, I think. Do some oh, skin. how cool. <laughs> are you really? Oh, that's awesome. Well, no, in my mind. I'll be heading up there in my mind. Oh, in your mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, uh, I, you know, I've got snow where I'm at, but uh, not very much of it. But you can ski, and uh, it's uh, considerably colder. But, uh, you know, when when L.A. is around 40 or, or even 60 degrees and everyone's wearing ski jackets, it's it's what's nice is to go up into the hills and pretend you know, you're in the mountains <laughs> of Colorado. <laughs> it's that, that winter, fall weather of the mountains that is beautiful. But uh, so I, I want to welcome you here and, uh, and uh, say, you know, it's a pleasure having you. And uh, I look forward to our discussion on uh, cinematography and um, – and what you do. So, can I ask you this, uh, Kurt? Uh, let's go with how you got started in the film business. Oh gosh, uh, I, I started uh, with a. Luckily for me, my midlife crisis happened in my early, early twenties. So, so uh -huh. I, 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 uh, I was, uh, as you noted in my bio there, I, I have a degree in, in business marketing of all things. And uh, a good family friend, as you noted, Darren Okada, who's past uh, president of ASC, Michael Goya is president uh, currently. But uh, Darren uh, and I, when we were very, very young, uh, we used to, he used to make a lot of films, and I used to just kind of hang out and watch him uh, make his films. So I think, I think that probably sparked everything for me, because as I was entered the business world, uh, I kept uh, being pulled back to see, well, what's what's Darren doing? And he'd always be coming back from some far-off land with these great adventures, and I'd be sitting there, you know, trying to sell sugar-free Jello or something. So I said, <laughs> you know, I don't think this life is for me. And uh, so I asked some advice from Darren, and Darren said, well, you know, you can do it if I can do it. Obviously, you know, you can do it. Uh, so the next 
obvious question was, do I go to film school or not? And he said something to me very, I think, profound at the time, and uh, and, it, and it rings even more true now, you know, 30 years later, is he said, why would you pay somebody to teach you something that another person is willing to pay you to learn? I go, hmm. So he says, just go work hard, work for free, build up your network, you're a smart guy, you'll figure it out, and then probably within a few years, you'll uh, have a have a path somewhere in this industry. So that's what I did. Wow, how cool. And and so what, you know, I, I mentioned in your bio that you started as PA and everything. So can you give us somewhat the uh, career path and, and how, how uh, and, and the fact that you're self-taught as a, as a, as a DP? Well, I, I think I, I had a distinct advantage because I did have a, a prior life, if you will. I have a, I had an education in business and, more importantly, in business marketing. So what I did was is I, I kind of – I knew that I, I wasn't going to be happy – directly working as a PA. So I said, well, what can I do with my current skill set? And because that's what you always go back to is your Rolodex. Uh, so I went back to my Rolodex and I said, you know, I can, I can sell and I can market. So I, I started scanning and here in Orange County, down here in Southern California, the uh, uh, back then it's called the classifieds, you know, for work. And it, there just popped up a, a post-production industrial house, meaning that they did a lot of corporate films, was looking for a sales manager. So I went in there and I applied. They were happy to have somebody that came from a Fortune 100 corporation background. They thought I was nuts, actually, but I said, no, no, I really want to do this. So I started off basically as a marketing sales manager for a post-production facility, but I did take the job with one caveat, and that was is that if I sell any production jobs, I get to produce them. So you can kind of figure out how much their post work. <laughs> the uh -huh. post work basically wasn't sold. I they, they became a production company after I got there, and that's what I did. So I, so as a as a producer, you get to hire your crew. So what I did is I started hiring an interview. First, I started interviewing directors, you know, cinematographers, people like that, and I would basically be a fly on the wall even during the interview. And I just started picking things up and learning. And, and as Darren said, as long as you have a, a direction and, and, and where you want to go, and if you have enough wherewithal to figure out uh, how to get there, you can kind of fill in the dots in between. So I think my advice would be just for those of you who are dreaming or want to be in this industry, uh, the path is usually there for you. You just have to have, uh, I guess, the determination, the strength, and, and a little bit of common sense of how to how to go about it but uh, but to get back on point uh, after I started uh, producing uh, I left that company started my own production company and I still wasn't shooting at this time uh, but I used to be involved quite a bit in editing because if anybody of you are out there who are either agency ad agency producers or producers for corporate production companies you know that you know you actually follow the the gig from script to screen, as we used to say back in the 80s. So what happens is you you get to see the entire process. So I started hanging out a lot in, in the editing sessions, and back then we used to cut on uh, you know basically three-quarter inch uh, window burn type of edit decision list. So that's what I did uh, after I would be done selling in the day and you know producing. I would actually spend the evenings basically uh, doing cuts for our various clients. So I learned how to edit that way. And this is back in the day when you had, uh, you know, one-inch editing machines. You had a Chiron operator on one side. You had two channels of ADO, and you had an online editor. For those of you who are old enough to remember those things, all the young people are probably have uh, crossed eyes right now. They have no clue what we're talking about. <laughs> but you learn how to edit. So I learned how to edit, and then I still wasn't happy because at the end of the day, I, I knew I needed to be out 
out in the field and on set because that's where I truly, truly love being, you know, with the camera because I always did still photography when I was younger. So, so again, I just kind of, as a producer, you can hire yourself. So I started hiring myself as a shooter <laughs> once I figured out how to do it enough. And then from there, you know, you kind of do your own projects, but then you want to branch out and you want to always, I think anybody in Hollywood and, and most people in this industry have designs or dreams to get into, you know, fiction film, you know, feature work, you know, or documentary work. So even though I was very adept at owning a production company and I could, you know, direct things, you know, I started directing, I still wanted to shoot. So I started, you know, hiring myself not only as a director, uh, but I hired myself as a director cameraman, which is basically your cinematographer as well as the uh, the director. And I also operated and uh, spent many years on my own films, uh, I mean on my own projects, either commercials or corporate films, operating and learning and because I couldn't fire myself. <laughs> so that was a safe, you know, I took a safe path. So that's kind of how I made it through that world. And then uh, I, on the side, I would be PA on movies. I would go out and work craft service I had to, uh, go hang out at uh, various shoots whenever I could, uh, just kind of fly on the wall trying to take the knowledge that I had in my small little world of advertising and corporate work and try to figure things out on a movie set if I could go visit you know, various sets you know, being shot around town here. So that's what I would do, and I think that's kind of how I ended up being a shooter. Wow. Well, I love the idea that you become your own boss, hire yourself so you can't fire yourself and and uh, and put yourself in the position that you want to be in in order to do what you want to do. I, I think that's great. And and oddly enough, we're now at a point in time in history where because of the cost of equipment and software and you know access to the Internet and everything else, that most people, whether they're actually a paid employee of a company for the, that they work for for themselves or whether they just go out and start doing this they're they're able to do it now as never before so this is an exciting time oh it's extremely exciting and uh, you have to remember you know when you know, i started in this business uh it literally was working on one inch videotape as far as your final edits there was no such thing as a transform uh you know f- uh, for for movie you know folks out there uh, everything was, you know, projected on on a, on a release print. Everything was captured on, you know, original on, on camera negative. Everything was cut, uh, pretty much still, uh, you know, uh, in film. And I got in aboard probably in the mid to late '80s, and so it was just, you know, when the edit droid and things were just starting to happen, where they they started uh, moving into the digital world. So, I, in, in a lot of ways, I think right now it is so exciting, and I think there's so many many options for people who want to to be, as I call, you know, image makers. It doesn't have to be films. It doesn't have to be commercials. It doesn't. It could be, you know, YouTube. It could be just stuff that you post on your own Facebook page. But there's so many avenues uh, out there for people to go out and make films, which kind of begs the question to those of us who are artistically inclined, there's no other excuses left for us to say that, well, I can't afford the film stock, or I don't know anybody who has a grip and lighting truck. I mean, you can just go to Home Depot and pick up some lights, uh, take your still camera, your DSLR, and go shoot a movie. So literally what... You know, my friends who did go to film school used to talk about, you know, making a film with a light bulb and, you know, on a on a Super 8 camera. Now you could actually do uh, feature work uh, in, as far as technical quality, you know, just at home. So there really is no excuse other than uh, your own imagination and basically your own fears from stopping you from making, you know, or telling your stories. 
I'm going to ask you uh, a number of questions. I want to get into the work as, as a documentary, as a documentary cinematographer, as well as featured in, in commercials. But I, I want to ask this question since we're, we're at that point. Um, I want to do what you do. I've never done it, you know. And I go out and I go to a store and I buy a camera, and I go, I want to make a film. Uh, now I, I might know a little bit about directing. I've read books on directing, you know, or, or something like that. Or I've even tried to read books on film composition or shots. What do I need to know as a as a camera operator? Because I'm going to operate my own camera, and as b- being my own director, photographer, cinematographer. What what is cinematography? You know, in other words, Kurt, when you think of if you had to boil it down and implant, you know, just one or two ideas in my head so that I, I know what's critical and what's important. I know, you know, how to proceed. What what would you tell me to do? What? Uh, first and foremost, I think you have to define what you really want to do uh, with your cinematography. If you are truly want to be a cinematographer or a director of photography, that is much different than if you want to be a filmmaker, if you want to create your uh, own films. So uh, so let's take the cinematography first, since I'm a cinematographer. Yes. Uh, the first thing and foremost uh, you need to do is get experience. And experience is on all levels. Uh, because as a director of photography, as a cinematographer, you have to think of the end game. The end game is, is that you are the only other person on a motion picture set that has the director title as the first word. There's only other one other one is called the director. So everything else is you have so you are the director of photography, which means is that you are responsible for the actual creation of the images as and telling the story as as it is, you know, conceived by the director. So what you need to do is that you need to not only know about cameras and don't and, and lighting, extremely important. Uh, lighting is probably more important, I would argue, than camera. That uh what you but above all of that is that you need to learn your your ability to motivate and direct individuals and you need to make sure that you're motivating them and directing them into the right the right path because you could easily put them over a cliff which means you'll take the production on the cliff so your job as a cinematographer is to basically uh make the images happen in the time that's allowed to happen so if you're first starting out out of the box, yes, you've got to learn your camera, you've got to learn how to do your setup uh, in regards to your technical stuff. The second thing is at least get a basic understanding of lighting, uh, understand you know, as far as getting proper exposure. Uh, but again, the third thing is you need to know how to organize a team around you because the, more, the quicker you understand that this is a collaborative effort and not a solitary uh, uh, thing that you're trying to attempt, the the, the farther and the better uh, you will uh, – well, the farther you go and the better your work will be. I, I think if you think that you can do it best on your own and that, you know, I really don't like somebody else even operating. I mean, I have to kind of – I cringe at that. But, yes, I'm finding myself even hiring other operators these days uh, But because there's much better operators than I am, quite honestly. But as soon as you let go of your ego and you decide that, yes, this industry is designed for people to help – they want to help. They are specialized to help. Then, then that's your job is to try to organize the team that will help you make those uh, critical decisions and, and ultimately those great images. So, yes, you know, I don't want to get you know into the weeds about technical stuff because I'm not a technical DP. Uh, but, but you don't need to be a technical director of photography as long as you understand how to do those three major things: know the camera, know the lighting, and know how to organize and lead you know a, a group of, of very motivated individuals. 
that's really excellent. I mean, I appreciate that. And and one of the things I really appreciate about about uh, what you just said is to know lighting. Um, I recently was uh, considering go, uh, being brought on as a producer for a feature film, and the director wanted to shoot the the thing. And I said, uh, I really would, if I were going to produce it, I would get you a you know your own cinematographer. And he said, Well, I'm I'm probably a better cinematographer than I'm a director. And I said, Well, how's your lighting? And he said, I don't know crap about lighting. And I said, <laughs> I said, Well, we need to get you a gaffer. And he said, Well, the budget won't you know afford you know to do that. And I'm like, This is the nightmare you know waiting to happen here. Right. And and uh, you know, with all due respect to them, I mean, I understand it. You know, when you're strapped and you don't have cash, you do what you you can. But but. The point about lighting, like you know, is is uh, because lighting really makes a difference. I mean, you can you can you can have a flat kind of scene, or people kind of blend into the background, or they don't really pop from the, you know. What, can you give us a kind of a uh, just a a, a a primer in uh, lighting, or you know, three point lighting, or something that that we can discuss uh, to to yeah. make shots more interesting, or you know. And, or yeah, just here, here's here's a, here's an important question. Now, one of the films I've, I've worked on a lot of films, and, and sometimes you know you, nobody ever cares about anything. And then I, I've worked on films where they go, you know, but the shadows aren't matching in the shots because they're light from they're lit from different areas, right? And and things like that that people don't necessarily, if they're just starting out, don't necessarily pick up on, you know right. where. Uh, well, well, for me, the, the first first thing, as far as you're absolutely correct in, in in regards to your feeling about lighting, because if you think about it, if if in the movie industry, if you really don't have light, what do you have? You have a radio. <laughs> That's pretty much what you're doing. You're making a radio show. And if you have, if you do one better than that, and you have a light bulb, then you're just doing, I think, a bad radio show. So I think if you you do lighting, uh, lighting is is critical. And coming from a documentary film background and coming from being self-taught. And coming from living outside of Hollywood, because I do not live in L.A. and uh, I live south of there, which is the equivalent, you know, when I when I travel around town, uh, around the country on shoots, I, I I share a lot more in common with my crews, and like in Raleigh or Fort Worth or, you know, uh, uh, up in Iowa than I do a lot of times in Hollywood, just because you know we all kind of share the same you know jack of all trades. But getting back on point, as far as lighting goes. It's very when you really break it down, it's really simple. And I think people it's one of those things that people are really afraid of lighting. I don't know how many times I run into photographers who are great photographers but they do nothing in the studio because because you can get a great image, you get a long lens, you can make anything kind of look good by, you know, having a shallow focus, learning, you know, how to get a nice exposure. But the real but that's just in a way being a documentarian. Uh to take it to the what I would call a feature documentary level or in 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 our case a fiction film is is the lighting. That's the diff, that is the big difference of of, of of the look and the feel of of starting to actually have a voice in the imagery and trying to impart a little bit of uh, you know, a lot more uh, uh, of your opinions on what you're shooting is through your lighting. So, very simple for those of you who are, are a little bit afraid of it, and and but you kind of want to be this, and you have to, you know, you got to put on your big boy pants if you want to be a DP. You better learn how to light. I say very simply, think like a light. If I was a light, what would I do? So, if you walk into a room and you say, "How am I going to shoot this?" and and forget about what the director wants to do, forget about what you want to do. Look at what the light wants to do. You walk into a room and there's a window. Okay, that's a that's a light source. It's called motivated light. Well, let's just use that light. So if you just it, it help 
get the proper exposure, motivating from the window, meaning just boosting the levels up so that technically you can record a proper image, then that's all you really have to think about is that that light is going to that light's never going to change, right? You're not going to move that wall, you're not going to move that you know window on set, you know, unless you're of course you're working on a Hollywood with you know Hollywood movie with fly walls. So that's going to be where your lighting always comes. So then you start going and placing your your actors within that space, and then you start observing. Now, when I say observing, uh, that means the camera. You're observing this scene that's happening. So just again. If I'm observing for one direction to shoot, let's say, uh, an actor on frame left and the window's on frame right, that light is always going to be hitting that actor from that direction. And when you go to the reverse and shoot the actor on uh, on the opposite side, you know it's going to be backlit. Don't fight it. Just maintain that direction of light. So then the question becomes just getting a proper exposure. So if you just do that simple thing first, just think like a light. If you're in a room with no windows and there's a top light or there's no light at all, it's just like as we say, you know, when you learn how to light, you do basically you start with a black studio and then you turn one light on and, you, and everybody has their own way of doing it. But if you're, you're faced with a room with no light, just go ahead and decide where you want that. That's even better. You can decide where you want that light to be. Uh, your key light, the main light that's going to illuminate the scene. And then from there, what happens is that you just anchor that light. And everything, every decision you make in regards to shooting is that thing, where would that light be, you know, if I move, if I start, start observing the scene from this side, knowing that that light never moves, and you start walking around the set. So, again, just take it very simple, start with one light, and then from there you can you can get some great images, get comfortable with that, and just start adding these. You do this three-point lighting. You mentioned three-point lighting and stuff. And uh-huh. That's great if you want to do news. That's great if you want to do some kind of presidential address. But if you want to start speaking uh, about your feelings, about your thoughts about a scene, then totally throw that three-point lighting thing away. And, and I would suggest cool. going back to what I would suggest is think like a light. Because what happens is in the real world, I don't think anybody follows even Angelina Jolie with a backlight anywhere, she, everywhere she goes. So uh, just, again, do what's proper for the environment that's provided to you. Then try to figure out how to fit it in within uh, the, the story and, and what the director wants or even what you want. Because at the end of the day in independent filmmaking, you don't get to make the choice of where you shoot. Usually the producer and the budget will dictate that. And so no matter what your director says, well, it's got to be this way and it's got to be dark and you're shooting in a room full of windows, uh, 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 it ain't going to happen. <laughs> so, again, that's why you have the director of photography titles that uh, usually uh, in that situation you can go to the producer and just simply tell them, if you want to shoot this really you know, dark and we have a bunch of windows and the director wants it to be really dark, uh, just tell them, yeah, we can do that, but it's gonna, we're going to be in overtime. You're going to have to order X amount of dollars more grip. And then, the, and I'm sure that director will no longer want to uh, shoot it very dark because the producer will have a little chat. And next thing you know, he said, "Oh, it's lit. Let's shoot." <laughs> so, you always remember where the power position is on set, and it's usually between the producer and the director of photography on smaller films. And it is not between the director and the producer. Unfortunately for you, the directors out there, uh, as uh, my old producer and current producer Sidney Sherman always would lecture me on, is that the uh, the budget defines the aesthetic. So, uh, you know, you have to be conscious of, of that in the real world. Wow. Now, that's uh, fascinating because I think most people who pick up their camera today are producer, director, editor, gaffer, you know, they may even hold a boom while they're shooting. Um, you know, it, this kind of auteur uh, mindset that I, I think grips the indie world. 
not so much because oh maybe it is because people just you know want to be a filmmaker they want to be a director and they want to do it all kind of thing because it's their vision their dream and they're going to get it on the screen but i think you know where you said budget determines aesthetics you know so much of budget determines crews and uh you know, we're we're used to thinking of the director as the power person. Right. I mean, even for indie indie directors and indie filmmakers out there, I hope I didn't offend any of you because I'm actually one of you. But think about it. Even though uh, you're, let's say, you are the most auteur person out there, you're going to do your own project. You still have a budget. It's called making your rent. It's called putting food on the table for your kids. So ultimately, every you know dollar you spend on your movie, you're taking away from your your kids' food. You know, you're going to be homeless. Right. You know, but I'm going to make my film. So yes, you're you're under those same budget parameters and those same budget ceilings as any producer or any production, be it a small, you know, local, you know, corporate production or a huge Hollywood movie. You as an independent filmmaker still have a have a responsibility to your budget. And I think that's the key word if you want to be a professional, if you really, really truly want to be even an artist in this industry or any industry, you have to understand the uh, relationship between your, you know, your patrons and then and the the people that you, you know, people are actually making, you know, the work. And as long, every great artist ever known to man has had a, has a patron, had somebody out there who uh, believed in him, and either it's called the box office or it's just called a, a rich uncle or your mom or or <laughs> your college friend. Right. So you you have to have that, and you don't do that by being by yourself. So get over yourself, check your ego at the door, as Ken Cragen would say, and go out there and solicit help from all of those kindred spirits who are out there. Uh, and then again, you know, you got to make sure that you manage that process. You don't want everybody, you know, known to man coming in because you don't want 20 directors on set. But that's the, that goes back to my third point. As a director of photography, as a director, as a producer, you have to understand that your job and, the, and mainly your critical job is to motivate, you know, and, and direct very committed individuals uh, to your vision. And 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 the quicker that you understand that, I think the the farther you'll go in your career, the better your films will be, and and then uh, and then once you understand that, then you can decide that yeah, okay, with like with in my instance, I know that I can light, I know I can shoot, I know I can set up a tripod, I need, I also know I can probably burn a house down if I try to do a tie-in <laughs> to an electrical box. So so you got to know a man's got to know his limitations as well as a woman's got to know them as well. So, but the more that you do, the more that you'll learn those limitations, and then I think. That's when, again, you can start having a, a better and a bigger voice as a filmmaker uh, by trying to do as many things as you can early on in your career so that at the very end of your career you're actually doing very little except making that vision happen as you see it in your mind. Wow. Wow. I mean, that is that is uh, amazing. Now, let's go back a little bit to this. And it, cause you've said so many things that uh, – um, you know, I always say at the end of the show, you know, I'll have you back to talk about other things. I'm just going to say it right up front. We've got so many things to discuss. We could be going on for a long time, Kurt. Um, but this is fabulous. The, the notion of the relationship between the producer and the director of photography, and, and the reason being that, that oftentimes what you see on a film set is uh, a new-time director in an independent world or even in the studio world, they're, they're you know, they're, they're fresh, let's say, or in television they're fresh, and a seasoned DP. Right. And and if anybody can intimidate a director, it will be that seasoned director of photography, uh, if if that person so wants to intimidate. Right. And, uh, and we've all heard horror stories, uh, you know, about... I've, I've, you know, seen, a few, I, I've seen a few yeah. ro- uh, train wrecks in my day, <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's a it's an interesting relationship, I think. Uh, and again, I can only speak for for what I have uh, my experience. And again, for all of you listening, is these again is uh, these are my opinions based on you know my twenty thirty years of, of doing this. Uh, and every but and again another thing I learned is everybody has their own way of doing it. There's no one way of of making films, and there's no one way of making an image. And and something that would be totally wrong for for me to to even attempt be, may be perfect for somebody else. So you just have to decide what kind of life you want to live, basically, and decide and go out and live it. And then you know basically to heck with everybody else. Uh, so the idea is is that. A producer is responsible primarily to two things. Uh, a good producer is, is responsible, number one, to the director's vision. Uh, why? Because that director, and I'm talking about filmmaking here, and, and we're talking about fiction film uh, primarily. Uh, we're not talking about advertising or any of this other stuff that is totally a different ballgame. But as far as uh, fiction film and you know narrative filmmaking, is that a good producer will realize that he is trying to service the story as is told by the director. Okay, this is a common theme here. The director of photography's primary job is to service the story as told by the director. Now, where the rubber hits the road is actually between the director of photography and the producer. Why? The, that road is, is paid with dollars. And dollars are represented by two things, the actual amount of dollars you have to spend, which means your crew material, and the, number, and the, and the time it takes to make this uh, the film. So those are the two things that a director of photography is, is ultimately responsible for, is making sure he makes his day, shoots his pages, and number two is he spends the dollars that are allow, allocated for that day of, of production. Now, what happens is where the train wrecks start is where the, a new director will walk into a situation and maybe is, it comes from the theater or maybe is a writer and hasn't spent much time on set. And what happens is is that they have he has an, a vision or an idea, but it doesn't it doesn't marry with either one of those two things, the money or the time. And whenever I say money, that means your assets, your crew. You don't just have enough people. You don't have the right camera. You can't support a steady cam, so you're, you know you're doing it off of, uh, you know, uh, bungee cords or something. You know, so those are the things that a director of photography has to be uh, kind of that sounding board to listen to what. Okay, what is the what is the shot the director really wants? What is the story he's trying to tell? And then through your experience as a director of photography, it's your responsibility to try to get that shot. It may not be the way the director wants to do it. It may not even be the way the producer wants you to do it. But as long as you make your day and do it for the money that's allocated, then what's the problem? And again, you have to, you, as a director of photography, you, have, you are the realist actually on set. You have to stand firm. You have to believe in what you, your skills, you have to kind of go down with the ship, if you will, because ultimately if your skills aren't up for the job or your decision-making isn't up for the job, you're going to be fired. So you may as well try to you know, go ahead and do it the way you want to do it, the way you know best to do it, as long as you're doing that one thing, servicing the story as told by the director within the parameters, uh, parameters that are set by the producer. So those are the things that I think a director of photography needs to do with a new director, kind of bring the reality to the situation, be a great, incredible sounding board and support for that director, but at the meantime, kind of not run interference with the producer, but actually be partnered with the producer in order to make sure that we're all working for one thing. And, and as I said, it's, it's that story as told by the director. But the first thing, as I say, is that story. That's what you're all there for. So I've even had, you know, come knock, out, knock down, drag out fights with the director over, you know, 
you're changing the way the story is. You told me you wanted to shoot, and you know, so I kind of check the director's premise sometimes because a lot of times the director, particularly if he's new or she is new, will start to feel the pressure as put on by uh, by the producer. Normally, that's because they're not making their pages. It, no, nine times out of ten, either the scene's not working or something's happening that they're just not moving fast enough. And, and we're saying that, of course, director to photography never are slow. So it's always the director's fault on that. So, <laughs> so the director feels this pressure. So the director starts to compromise on on that per, on that vision. And I think it's also my job as a cinematographer to remind the director why he or she is there. And I've even gone so far as to why are you even in this industry? Remind them of the bigger goal of this is your dream. This is the baby you spent 20 years to try to get here, and now you're folding your tent. <laughs> so, wow. so don't do that. So you. So you go back to the story. Now, ultimately, you have to give in because everybody, again, has a patron. And in, in, in my case, in most cases, the director of photography is beholding to the producer uh, because of the budget or the studio or the insurance company, the bonding company, all these other things that come into the play. So you have to you know, give your opinion, try to do it the best you can. But at the end of the day, if you want to keep your job, if they want, ultimately, if either the director or the or the producer wants you to shoot it a certain way, then then you kind of have to shoot it that way. Or you can pack, you know, your light meter, you know, put it in your truck and drive off to the next gig, uh, because they, you will soon, surely, be replaced. All of us, even directors, are replaceable at any given time. So uh, you you have to understand why you're why you're in the game and why you're on that set. So uh, again, long long story longer. Just make sure as a DP, that you're supporting that story, support the director's vision, and just try to marry it to what the producer's parameters, either budget and time. Well, that is excellent. And uh, I want to remind the listeners that they're listening to Kurt Optuhan, uh, Emmy Award-winning director of photography, cinematographer. We're discussing uh, exactly what he does. And uh, I want to point out that his website is kurtoptuhan.com. It is C-U-R-T-A-P. D U H A N dot com. That's Kurt Optuhan dot com. It's also in the chat room. It's on his biography page at RexSykes dot com in the interviews. When you go there and you and you look up uh, Kurt, the interview today, he will have links to his website as well as smallpondfilms dot com. That's smallpondfilms dot com. So, uh, Kurt, this is uh, very valuable information for all of us, and I encourage people, if they have questions in the chat room, to go ahead and ask them. Um, you know, as a producer, I mean, uh, people, you know, you can go, okay, I understand the relationship between the director of photography and the producer, and the relationship between the director and the producer, and the, you know, and and the director of photography. What do you do? Uh, when and and let me just ask this question, because it's it's a it's a directorial or producer one. Let's say that the director of photography is in fact slow, very meticulous in terms of lighting, um, to a, an overboard extent. Let's say. I mm-hmm. mean, you, you can make the argument that nothing would be overboard. You could you'd make the argument that this person took a year to light this movie, and and what you see on the screen is is awesome. You know, it's beautiful. It's incredible. It's beyond anything you could ever imagine. Or he cuts corners because somebody's pressuring him. But what does the producer, or or in this case the director, do to work successfully with the director of photography um, to say, you know what, this is fantastic. I, I want the same quality, but I can't. I can't you know, we just got to work faster. How do you how do you speed people up? And, and and I ask you that because as director of photography, you are also part number three is to motivate your own crew. Right. Uh, I think you just hit the nail on the head right there. Uh, Start motivating your own crew. As a director of photography, 
most of us have crews. Most of us have even, you know, I mean, we go from the, you know, first AD, incredibly important. Uh, if Dave Edmondson out there is listening, or Tim Bright, my two ADs that I love to death, uh, hi. Uh, but the first AD as a director of photography is 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 your uh, support. It's your rock. Uh, it's the person that you need to go to because they, they help you set schedule. They are your stopwatch. They're your. Uh, they're they're the ones who remind you uh, of you know keep you in line as a, as on schedule and, and and keep in a lot of ways your own ego in check because you know as we know ADs are known as the hammer on set. So uh, having a great relationship number one with your first AD is extremely important because the first AD is responsible for you know the schedule is responsible again for marrying the material, uh, the physical assets with with the the shot list of the day what you're trying to accomplish, but. I think we have to step back a little bit as far as the, I think the, the original question was how a producer, uh, you know, is, is finds themselves in that situation uh, with the DP that's slow. A lot of times it's because the producer didn't give the director of photography <laughs> the amount of assets that are required to do the show that the director wants to do. So, so the Fair DP enough. is the DP is sitting there scratching his head. He's got I got two masters, you know, in in a way, and uh, you know, two submasters. Though the first master being the story. Uh, so I have I have a director who wants this, and I'm trying as heck trying to do this. After all, none of us would be working because the director was valued by the investors because they they bought that script. They wanted him to do it. So yeah, I got to serve him. Uh, the producer likes me. I can make my days, and you know, usually. But all of a sudden, I'm finding myself getting behind. So two things need to happen in that. There has to be number one, a meeting of the minds between the director and the director of photography to get together and sit down and say, hey, how can we alter you know our vision and our process? in order to make our day at the same time let's maintain uh, the look uh, the the visual language that we wanted to establish that would be my first thing is that is to as a producer is to say hey mr director of photography have a chat with your director and figure out a way to move faster okay thank you very much okay that, that's very good and that and i think nine times out of ten that will kind of solve it if your director of photography is a true director of photography professional has been in the business a while. Uh, the other alternative is to is to, for the director to go back to the producer and fight. And what what you do is because you, you don't know where the money really is uh, within a budget. And being a producer uh, in the past and coming from there, doing tons of budgets, <laughs> you know you know where you're, you're. It's a Peter and Paul thing. You're robbing Peter to pay Paul through any production. And as as a guy who works as a director of photography and a director on set, I say, to hell with post. Go ahead and spend it all in production. Let them figure it out. Now they got they got Final Cut Pro. They can do it in a week. So I would try to steal money, you know, from post in order to to get get the vision. Because after all, if you don't have it in the can, you're not going to be able to edit it. So so that would be another thing is to go back and fight. And again, for all my editors out there, please, you know, I'm just joking on that. Well, half joking, but you know, it, it, uh, the thing is is that you need to find more assets. You need to figure it out. And then the third thing is, uh, as I said, pack your light meter and get in the truck and go work at a, on a different gig because that's that will be the next thing that will happen if you're not making your day. Very rarely the director will be fired prim, uh, per, uh, in an independent film situation because that director nine times out of ten came with that script or came with that actor or had that right. relationship a lot of times with that producer. And the DP is hired uh, it may not, a lot of times you know, a DP is hired not because he He's got a great resume or list, but he owns a truck, he has lights, and he can show up on time. 
And oh, oh, by the way, yeah, you're good uh, from the image making. Oh yeah, that that that's a bonus. It's kind of like being a drummer in a band. True. You, yeah, you know, yeah. Like you know, the drummers are like the last thing. Do you have? Can you get your drums to the gig? Okay, good. You can you can be our drummer. You know. Right. So th- those are the things that I think a lot of times, uh, you know, I looked at. Now you know, there's some fabulous DPs in Hollywood, obviously, who own lighting companies and, and make equipment and all. And uh, years ago, again, going back to Darren, uh, who mentored me very early on in my career, Darren Okada, a city president, three times. Uh, I asked him, you know, should I start buying equipment and all? He goes, he goes, why? <laughs> he goes, you have all the best equipment at your fingertip. He goes, just get a light meter and learn how to get a light meter, learn how to use it, and that way, you know, you can move very quickly between interviews and jobs. You can, and because he and he gave a very important point. And for all you cinematographers out there who are starting to acquire equipment, um, uh, just just be just be aware that yes, it takes a certain amount of equipment. You know, not just camera, but you know, grip lighting, you know, lighting control to to do a job. And if you have equipment, that's great. But pretty soon, as your skill, you're going to be hired a lot because you have the equipment and you can cut a really good deal because you're going to give your equipment away for free nine times out of ten, your grip, your lighting, so you can get the gig as a DP and then get paid, you know, on your director of photography services. But the little, little dark secret that nobody really kind of thinks about early on in their career is that those jobs, you're going to be hired only because of that, not because of what's on your reel, not because of what you really can do. It's because of those you work cheap because you can throw the equipment in. So it's great to own equipment. There are great DPs that own you know, their own cameras and everything, but I would beg to say that they also are extremely competent in their visual style and their look, and they, again, can lead a team, and, and they know how to motivate individuals. Those are the more important things. So for those of you who you know think that you need to start buying equipment, uh, the most important thing out there I would advise is a light meter. Learn how to use it. A lot of people don't even know what I'm talking about now in the digital age, but uh, light, knowing how to use a light meter and knowing how how that applies to speaking with your gaffer is critical in the digital world more so now than ever because everybody sits around a, a, a video village monitor. Everybody makes judgments on a monitor, and the monitor is nine times out of ten not accurate to what's actually being laid down the, to, you know, into, into the camera. So, you know, you need to start thinking like a light. You need to start being able to visualize what that's going to look like after you go through your color grading with your naked eye, not looking at a monitor. Uh, the more you do that, the better, again, your work will be and the faster you'll be able to move because if everybody needs to stand around a monitor to make a decision on when it's ready to shoot, you're never going to make your day. You need to be able to move fast, and the only way you can move fast is being able to know what you're doing. And as a DP, you need to know how to look at light, how to evaluate light, uh, and it's the most critical thing as a working DP is, is just that because it's, you know, the camera, the lens, you know, the director, particularly, you know, in the British system where the camera operators and are actually with the director, you, know, you have the lighting cameramen in the British system where you, they just light. And so lighting is... It, all on its own is its own job. So please, you know, learn how to light. Don't be afraid of it. And and the quicker that you learn how to use a light meter, I think you'll be very unique because, you know, again, uh, a lot of young kids out of film school I go and speak to every now and again, they have no clue what a light meter is or what it does or how valuable it is. I think that in and of itself is just absolutely amazing in the digital age to 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 use a light meter. <laughs> so everybody everybody looks at these cameras as if the cameras do everything and it's the skill of the person behind the camera that, that you know, 
that, right. that makes the film come to life, not not the camera itself. You know? Right. I mean, I'm I'm sure there's a lot of independent filmmakers and DPs, you know, out there, um, you know, gaffers that are out there that are younger who maybe aren't as experienced or maybe have never touched film before, shot with a film camera, or had the light for film, and and the great training about shooting on film. Um, is that you had to be exact. Uh, there was no second chance. You know, film is gold, basically. So you only rolled when you absolutely know, knew and, 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 and are very firm in your idea that, yeah, we're ready to shoot. So think about just the, the logical side of it. You're sitting there, you're looking at, you know, you're evaluating your scene, and your key light is at a level you like, but your, your, your specials on the background are a certain way. Your ambient light is not quite right. So how do you tell a gaffer... Uh, who's going to end then, then and then and turn the electricians in your grips? That I need to turn. You know, what do you? How do you tell them to adjust the light? You don't say, well, turn that down a little bit. No, you say, take it down a half a stop. You know, add a single, put a double. All of those things go back to one thing: is knowing what the actual you know aperture is set at, which is you know your f, f stop or t stop if you want to you know be in film terms t stop transmitted light versus a you know physical thing with an f stop. So if you know you're if you're you're shooting at a uh, let's say a f four or t four, and your key light's coming in, and I used I go hot used to in film, so I go at five six one 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 over key, and then all of a sudden you want to knock off you know, a couple stops to go under in the background, the only way you know how to do that efficiently is with a gaffer that sits there with a light meter, and as they're tuning that light in the background, you know exactly, okay, I'm now at two stops under. You don't need to look at the monitor. You just go and shoot. Again, this whole thing about monitors, I, I was caught a few years back with millimeter, and I uh, did a interview with the millimeter, uh, old, old magazine millimeter, and I kind of caught myself a little bit of wanting to kind of bag on this whole digital realm because nobody really knew how to do, the young kids weren't learning how to do light meters. And because, oh, you don't need a light meter, you can throw that away, you can just use a monitor. I go, well, the monitor is extremely expensive light meter. So, so you know, <laughs> and then Darren would argue that, you don't, you know, just squint, you know, look through your uh, contrast viewing glass, you know, just look, just look. So, again, you know, as a working DP, you know, many, many years later, I understand now the value of, of really having that discipline of, of being brought up in the age of film where you had to look. You know, everybody was by the camera. Every every key department, you know, wardrobe, makeup, they weren't by some you know monitor because we had just a awful black and white video tap. You would actually stand at the camera. You try to imagine, okay, he's on a hundred millimeter lens. Uh, if you're lucky enough, the camera operator will actually let you look through the lens. But nine times out of ten, you don't do that because it's the same thing. If everybody has to look through the camera, then you slow down the process, and the camera operator will kill you if you get near his camera. So everybody had to learn the discipline of standing next to the camera, looking at their work, making a judgment, doing their thing, walking away. The DP says we're ready to shoot. The director comes on and says action. So that doesn't happen there very much now. Everybody kind of mills around a, a video monitor, and you spend more time sitting at Video Village and blacking it out and making sure you know, you're know you not getting any ambient light. And I just sit there and I go, gosh, just give me my light meter, turn off the monitor, and let's go shoot. Uh, I, I sounds fantastic. It really does, and I and I like the point, uh, and it's a crucial. I think it's a critical point, and then we're going to have to take a break, but uh, and then we'll come back and address it. But uh, that the monitors are not nearly as accurate as people think they are, and and that they all might vary, you know, somewhat. I mean, all you have to do is go into a into a TV store, <laughs> essentially. Right. You know, yeah, I mean, and look at. Uh, they, I'll make a point though. They're extremely accurate as long as you set them up properly and you have right. the ambient light levels around it, the proper viewing environment. 
But again, you know, you're out there in the middle of, you know, if you're in Ankeny, Iowa, and it's nine degrees out in a film, and I'm shooting some John Deere combine, you know, you're not gonna, you're just not gonna set up a video village, you know, and and so you're gonna have to understand, you know, what your exposure is, and okay, the sun's peeking through the clouds, and what are we gonna have? What do I make a decision? Do I expose for shadow or highlight? It's just as simple and basic as that, but it really hasn't really changed. Same those same decisions. What should I expose for? Shadow or light? Awesome. Well, very cool. Let me take a quick break. Uh, you just stand by, and uh, I'll talk about our upcoming guests and everything. You're listening to Kurt Optuhan, a cinematographer, Emmy Award-winning uh, director of photography. We're discussing, as if you're listening, uh, cinematography and 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 that art and the craft and the science. And uh, you're listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beat at R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S dot com. Kurt's website is Kurt Optuhan. It's his name. It is also available on his uh, bio page at uh, at uh, uh, Rex Sykes Movie Beat, but it is C-U-R-T-A-P, as in Peter, D as in dog, U-H-A-N as in Nancy, Kurt Optuhan dot com. And... Uh, you're going to definitely want to go there and check it out. Now, my upcoming guest, my very next guest on the 26th, same time, same place, same station, the whole thing, is Paul Weber, casting director. He's returning to uh, talk with us again uh, at Movie Beat, and uh, you might want to go and uh, hear his previous uh, inter- discussion, conversation, interview with me. Cassidy McMillan will join us on the 31st. She's a documentary filmmaker. She's done a, a, a disturbing documentary on bullying and bully side. Uh, I watched that this morning, and I could barely get through the first few moments of it. Uh, it's, it's, it is a very gut-wrenching, uh, important piece of work. Melissa Scoff, casting director, is coming up on the 1st of, uh, of February. She, again, she is joining us again, and so uh, uh, her previous interview is available. Betty Jo Tucker is a critic and an author and a film fan, and she will join us on the 2nd of February. And then uh, Jeff Greenstein... Or Greenstein, sorry, as uh, a director he, and a writer. He's now currently helming the uh, web series Husbands, the series. And uh, but he's a director from uh, Will and Grace and uh, uh, Desperate Housewives and uh, Parenthood and you name it. He's done it, and uh, he'll be joining us. Uh, he's worked with. He's working with. Uh, uh, the developer Cheeks and uh, Jane Espenson on uh, Husbands. And then Peter Marshall will be joining us uh, for the Director's Series Part 16 on the 9th. And that takes us through uh, about halfway through February. So again, you're listening to RexSykes.com. My guest today is Kurt Optuhan. And uh, we're, I'm having a fabulous time listening to him talk about cinematography. So let me ask you this, Kurt. Okay, I'm a director. Let's pretend it's me. And I don't know anything about camera or lighting, but I've got my script. Maybe I produced it, or maybe I got lucky enough to get hired on, you know, but I'm an, I can direct actors. I'm from theater. I know how to get a performance. I know what I want. I know, I, you know, but I can't necessarily articulate it because I'm not that great a visual thinker. I, I can't tell you, you know, so now I got to work with you. Uh, hopefully, I mean, in other words, I want to work with you. I don't want. I don't want to be in the position where I'm bullied by the DP. I want. I want a collaborative relationship. I want to say, look, I don't. I don't know, Jack. You know, can you help me out here, and and make me look good at the same time, essentially, mm-hmm. so that it's a win-win. How do we do that? I mean, in other words, what do I need to know about working with a DP? Uh, I I would strongly suggest for uh, any first-time directors that. 
don't have much well any any first any director um, obviously uh, and, and and this is going to be very obvious to you know most directors but for first time directors in particular please I implore you to spend as much time casting your director of photography and your first AD as you do your lead actors. It's the same process. It's something that you already know. You you know the vision that you have in regards to casting the part. You know when an actor is right. And more importantly, you know it's not just getting one great actor, two great actors. You know it's a collaborative thing. So you may have one actor who's, you know, incredibly great but his or her process is totally different from you know the the other lead that he or she is playing opposite so you know they're not going to mix well it's the same way uh, uh, that you need to cast your dp and your ad uh, there's no way to stop a train wreck once you're on the train i'm sorry it's going to happen so if you find yourself in that situation learn from it there's you just got to get through it so this is for the next time or for those who are just starting to get on board that train for the first time it's Please spend your time getting on with the right director of photography and your the right first AD. The reason why you want your first AD included is that the first AD will take care of you and your schedule. So you won't even have to think about schedule. Your first AD will be like your personal assistant. He or she will tell you, you need to be here, and you need to be here now, you need to shoot this, you need to shoot that. As long as you trust that first AD and that first AD trusts you, then you don't have to worry about any of that that crap as far as getting the circus to, to run on time. The second thing, obviously, is your director of photography. As long as you are on the same you know, page in regards to your story, and as long as you, you sync on a personality level, a lot of times you, know, you have things that, okay, well, I, I just don't like that guy or that girl or vice versa, and I, oh, that something bothers me about Don't use them because if you're shooting a feature or a documentary in my case, you're going to be with that person for months on end, either in pre-production, through production. You're going to be maybe sleeping in the same hotel room at times, depending upon. So you better get with somebody that you can actually hang with. Uh, if you're doing a commercial, if you're just doing a day player, yeah, yeah, you can put up for a day for a person for a day or two. But make sure that you you not only have somebody who's technically adept and is a visualist, but somebody who's a true collaborator and somebody who could you know be your friend. Because at the end of the day, it's kind of like band camp, the business that we're in. We all come together, you know. At, we're all, you know, actors and directors and, and, and gaffers and craft service people, and you're all at the same camp. You know, you're, you're, you're there for one month, two months, three months, whatever your, your production, and then you leave. But within that time frame, it could be like the most amazing experience. And, and at the end of the day, you may never see these people after you step off set. But that very last day when the AD goes martini or something and, and it's a wrap, you have those I have I, I have those same feelings, you know, back, you know, in high school going to either, you know, playing football or something and when you graduate in senior year, you kinda have that, that same feeling, even though you've only known these people for three months. Because it's such an intense uh, uh, situation, I, and I think those of us who are in this business are really privileged and should actually cherish that process, even though it's painful at times. Because most people in the world don't ever feel that. You don't, they don't feel a lot. They just kind of go to their jobs and they come home. They go to their jobs, they come home, and they look forward to their vacation. We, on the other hand, if we approach it the right way, look forward to going to work, and that's kind of cool. So, just <laughs> as a director, please. You know, just look forward to going to work every day by casting your DP right. Make sure that you're on the same page, that that DP is there for the right reasons, that DP is not there to build his reel, although nine times out of ten they are. Well, we all are. We know that's the reality of it. But but beyond building the reel, that DP is there because he knows that he can build his reel because of what you as a director bring to the table, which is your vision, which is your cast, which is your, which is your I think, passion. And I think 
with that, I think most people uh, can kind of make a, a pretty good experience out of this process we call movie making. Wow. Well, you know what? I'm going to do something that I never do on, on the air, and that is I'm going to accept a call. Uh, and the reason I am is because we were anticipating that perhaps uh, two people might call in. And I'm going to hope that that's one of them. And if not, we'll find out what the caller has. All right? Okay. And then I've got to give it a shot. Hello, caller. Who is this? Are you there? Okay. Time's up. Bye bye. <laughs> hey, that's a bullet. Whew. I think that was my producer calling, telling me I got to get back on set. <laughs> could be, could be. Well, no, I, I mean, he's, and the call is still there. I don't know. Maybe I didn't give him enough time to answer. But anyway, if they're in the chat room, they can type us a note. Uh, well, I wanted to ask, and, and boy, the time is flying by, Kurt, and there's so much. Uh, to talk about, and we've not even talked about your work and your fabulous. Yeah, I haven't even talked about all the great directors and producers I've worked for. I got it. <laughs> yeah, and, and and maybe we should we should switch topics and we'll come back because I promise you, listeners, that Kurt is going to come back and we're going to talk more about this uh, and about all these things. But I did want to ask one uh, final question in there uh, because we were talking about the about the uh, film and lighting, and we were talking about monitors. How much control of imagery does the cinematographer have? Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, the, the director of photography have in terms of input or control over the final color grade of the film? Uh, oh, and I gotta, I'm sorry, and i got one yeah, other question that I def- sure. definitely have to ask. Okay, so go ahead. Uh, as far as uh, color timing, color, well, that, uh, dating myself, as far, far as grading, uh, digitally grading, because everything is done now digitally, um, in small independent film uh, films, uh, you, the director of photography will probably be involved just because that I believe the producer and the director will value that input. Uh, because mainly, most likely, the producer and the director will have no clue what it means by you know color grading. So the, I think the director of photography will have quite a bit of influence on the look of the film beyond just uh, what is recorded on 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 set. You know, Ansel Adams is is extremely you know. Uh, uh, adamant about his photography being that you know half of it or maybe even less than half was done at the, pl- the point where he clicked the shutter on his camera, but most of his work is it happened in the lab, and it's the exact same thing. You know, again, cinematographers, photographers out there know exactly what we're speaking of. Uh, but even in layman's term, with you know, all the younger generation growing up with Photoshop, we basically have the same thing in color timing, either Final Cut Pro or not. I mean, in color. Uh, or if you want to be on, on the more professional uh, levels with those color systems. So so the DP will have quite a bit of control. When you're talking about, and even with my experience in feature documentaries, when you're talking about larger projects, something that's going to be either financed by a studio or, or a production company, you'll have less, uh, the cinematographer will have less input. Uh, mainly the director will have more of the input. The cinematographer uh is lucky if, if 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 he or she is able to you know finish actually the job they were hired to do. And again, I implore producers and directors out there, uh, you know, at least budget something, maybe a lunch for the DP to come in, even for one day to set looks, you know, or two days or three days, or just to to kind of see what's going on. Uh, because nine times out of ten, uh, what happens is that that unless you are a top-notch ASC director of photography. Uh, you, you, the the studio or you know whoever's paying is going to have a, a more say in into what it's going to finally look like, and that's usually going to default to the director at that point. Uh, so again, you know, don't get so precious about your images out there, you shooters, thinking that you're going to follow it all the way through, uh, you know, fo- final you know print timing, because 
unless you're again are, are, are incredibly fortunate, like I have been working for some you know amazing producers and directors and or you know a top notch ASC DP. Uh, a lot of times that decision once you've you know set your looks prior you know you know to uh, shooting because you, know, you always are, are set your looks and your color timer will time it. The ultimate say will be coming down to like uh, you know somebody some studio dweeb. Sorry about that studio dweebs, but you're dweebs. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how many times I you know had. To, Look and go. That's not what we timed. That's not what we looked. Oh well, I guess they couldn't see the actors. You know, the million dollar actors' face enough, so they had to bring the bring the light up so we can see them. So, I dare I, I dare not think David Fincher has to go through that though, or, or Jeff Coldenwell. I want to ask before we get into the people you've worked with and some of the films and, and things like that, because gorgeous films and and impressive impressive films, uh, must see films actually. Uh, is you mentioned the word style, like cinematographer's style. Now, here's the thing. How does one establish style uh, for themselves, and, and what exactly does that mean? For example, in a television series where they're rotating directors, uh, some people can tell which directors directed which shows because of the team that they're working with and or because of, you know, certain choices that are made or a certain look, you know, and, and yet in a TV series, you know, so much is, is leveled out because it's the production design of the series. So, you know, this person's come in. Or for example, you could tell David Lynch directed which episodes of Twin Peaks, for example, or something along those lines. Um, cinematography, or, or you can go and you can look at movies and you go, yep, that's that's that person's movie. That That's the cinematographer. That is exactly, you know, because I know their style. What do you mean by style, and how do you develop a sense of style, and, and, and what, what, what kind of things do we focus on when we say, when we use that term? I, I think for me, when I when I say a, a cinematographer, a DP has to develop, you know, their their sense of style, their visual look, if you will, it, it is more so about the process of how you work rather than what ends up on the screen. You know, all of us, you know, I guess are artists to some extent, some more than others. I like to, I, I would go defer to Adam Greenberg would call it more of a, cinematography is more of a craft than it is an art. Uh, because there are so many moving parts and so many masters that you're serving. It's kind of like building fine functional furniture that, you know, then depending if it's just a chair or something that's truly a work of art as a chair. So, we're, But we're still making a chair, you know. So so you have to understand that that it's your process, I think, is your visual style. And, it, and, and again, it goes back to what Sidney Sherman, my producer, used to say as far as the budget defines the aesthetic. Well, you, the, your work methodology is going to define kind of how you work. Like I work in a very soft, motivated, light style. So my lighting is more my style, my visual approach uh, to most things are, is going to be, okay, I'm going to have motivated light, and and I'm going to have it uh, relatively soft. Now, does that mean that I don't use a hard light without anything between the light and the subject? Sure. Does it mean that I don't know how to light specular, you know, a specular light and hard light? No, I, I I can like that, but that's not what I'm drawn to. And I think the the quicker that you pick something that you're drawn to and what you like to do and you know how to do and, and know how to do fast, that is, that's what you're going to get hired to do. And, the, and what you get hired to do in Hollywood is what's on your reel or what you, what you can do quickly. So whatever you guys do out there as shooters, you better make sure what you do really well 
is what you really like to do because as you start getting more successful in your career, that's what they're going to hire you for. And to make the transition to shoot a different look, I'm not going to say style, but a different look, it's going to be hard. And uh, that's where your decision is, is. Do I, you know, in order to get my look, do I not put food on my table or do I not go on my vacation this year in order that I take a job at a really reduced rate in order to show that I can light in a different look? Or do I just keep doing the same thing and, and, and keep keeping those paychecks coming in? Because at the end of the day, and you know, us as cinematographers have to decide, uh, you know, what is going to be our approach and how we get our work done. And I think that's going to take precedent over the actual, if you will, look, if you will. So it's better to insert the right director in the right project with your style rather than the other way around where you have to kind of go out of the box and then try to create something because uh, to fit in, uh, you know, like basically kind of selling the job because, you know, I used to be a salesman and a marketing guy. <laughs> so, yeah, you would ask, it's kind of like politicians. They tell you what you want to hear, and then once they get in, into that, posi- you know, that position, you quickly realize they don't know what the hell they're talking about. They just told you what you wanted to hear, and all of a sudden you're not doing it. So it's better that you kind of don't learn on somebody else's dime when it really counts, meaning that you're the director of photography and, th- and there's money being spent and there's time being wasted uh, because it's very disrespectful not only to, you know, the crew and to the actors and to the producer, but it's it's also disrespectful to yourself. I mean, you should learn, you know, take those other gigs, you know, go in the backyard, start learning a different look, not a style, but learn a different look. So then you can start putting it on your reel, do spec jobs, you know, do PSAs, work for free. I still do. We all do. You know, I know I'm not going to mention names. I know some ASC members that I'm familiar with who can't for the life of, you know, heaven uh, break out of their specific look that they do. It's not so much their style because they've got tons of style, but they're known for a look, and it's just very difficult. So we all are you know, going to be prisoners of our own success, so please be successful in what you love to do. <laughs> very cool. We have literally maybe 18 minutes on the outside here, and I've got uh, Chris Lockhart on the phone. I recognize his phone number. So, Chris, are you there? I'm here. Oh, uh, my uh, God. <laughs> it's Chris. I don't Chris want to is- listen. Listen, I don't want to take up 18 minutes because, after all, you know, <laughs> no, you, you will take four up times. Minutes. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just want to but say, it, all I want to say is that Kurt is 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 a terrific and an amazing person, not just uh, behind the camera, but just all around. He was instrumental in uh, creating our documentary, Most Valuable Players, and we were really, really lucky to have him. And, and you're you're really lucky. Very lucky to have him today. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and and uh, as we are lucky to have you, and I'm glad that, uh, and we'll have you again, and uh, and I'm glad that you're here with Chris. Well, what was it like for you guys to work together? Then let's let's uh, let you each share a little bit. Well, well, Chris, you can start since you're going to be on longer than I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'll be really quick, but you know, I had seen Amargosa, you know, way back when, which is just an amazingly beautiful documentary that Kurt had shot. And I was working at ICM at the time, and my assistant, just in casual conversation, said to me, "You know, I know the director of photography of Amargosa," and I was like, "Wow, I love Amargosa." Blah blah blah, and we spoke about it years later. When it was time for us, Matthew Kalis and I, to look for a DP for our doc, Matthew was tossing out all these names, and, you know, I really didn't like any of them. And I just happened to be speaking to Anna, that former assistant of mine, and she said, hey, you know, you should give Kurt Updahan a call. I was like, Kurt Updahan, that guy won an Emmy Award. That guy's not going to want to come anywhere near us. 
But I was like, hmm, let me give it a try. So I wrote this obsequious email to him. And, um, you know, and so we met and we all fell in love and and we got really lucky. And I'd never shot a documentary. I'd never even been near a documentary before. Kurt had so much um, experience. And he was literally like uh, Yoda, or as I like to call him, <laughs> Mr. Miyagi. Literally, one Mr. Like Miyagi. That, <laughs> exactly. I mean, he was just so terrific, often just kind of like coming up in my ear and saying, you know, you need to make a decision here and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. Um, it, it was great. And um, we've been like a family, you know, when he spoke about that earlier. It's really true. And he was with us from the very, very beginning until the very, very end. And, you know, even even with us when we played for a week out here in L.A. and we were in uh, East Pennsylvania for our band screening and Dorita there, it was great. So I loved Working with him is is amazing, and we will be doing another project together. That's all. Good, good. I can take that to the bank, right, Chris? <laughs> but you you couldn't quite the first one, and so uh, you know, so I take this one back. But you can rely on it. Okay. Well, I think uh, just for the listeners know, Chris, you were on the show a co- three times, I think, maybe more. Four, but you're, you're four times. Four times. Four, four times. times. And, and 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 why does Kurt get to do it at eight o'clock in the morning? I was doing mine like at <laughs> five o'clock in the morning. Because they need more time about? for you, Chris. You talk too much. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, it's four times. That's right. And, and because you produced the collector and the collection and and most valuable player, which is the film that that Kurt shot, and it's it is a marvelous. Marvelous documentary, and I told you that you know it. it, it uh, when it debuted on the Oprah Winfrey Network, I have had that videos stored in my uh, in my DVR all of this time, so that my kids could watch it, so we could watch it again and again. Uh, it's just a delightful film, and it wonderfully shot and put together. So uh, it's it's great to have you both here. Let me do one more thing here because we've got a couple of minutes, and I want and I want Kurt to talk too. But this other person's been holding on. The reason I said hi to him before, they didn't answer. I'm going to try and say hi to you again. The the number is blocked, and I don't like to take blocked numbers. Kurt, uh, Chris, I recognized your number. So, hello, sir, madam, are you there? Hello. Well, they've been holding for like 14 minutes, but they don't answer when I talk to them. Maybe so, we got we got sent here from AT and T. Well, I guess we'll just have to continue to hold then, and uh, and I will uh, and, and allow you gentlemen to to, to speak. So uh, they're back on hold now, and uh, but uh, so what was it like working with Chris? I mean, this is. You guys obviously are, are tight. Oh, so. it was it was it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, you know, Chris's assistant at ICM, Anna Reyes, is you know fabulous, a friend of mine, and and we're familiar with each other through some short films that you know we both worked on. So when Anna kind of gave me a heads up that this very intense but very loving guy, but she said he is intense, is going to uh, be contacting you with this uh, documentary. I said, yeah, definitely. Well, you know, we'll take a look at it. And I, I, if you look at my IMDb uh, credits, it's like I do one doc every few years, not 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 quite a bit because they take so much out of me and any documentary people out there uh, – 
either fall in one or two, you know, camps. One that you just got to shoot and shoot and shoot, and you just love being out there. And I'm kind of more of a nester, so I, I kind of want to only get involved because I know how much how painful it's going to be. Uh, so I only get involved, you know, once every few years. And when Chris was so great and you know, Matthew Kalis and Cheryl, his wife, uh, were so welcoming when, you know, on my first meeting they had food there. They were just whining and dining me. And that that that, rare, that never happens for a DP, uh, particularly in documentary world. Uh, usually they kind of tell you this is what it's going to be and you're interested and great. But, you know, they're opening up their house and their families to me. And I just knew right away that it just felt right. And as soon as uh, Christopher said he wants to make a feature documentary with cinematic uh, feel to it, then I said, okay, I can definitely listen. Because, again, it goes back to my point of working on things that you're known to do, um, that you want to do, and you're known for it. And I, I only want to do feature documentaries or documentary features, as the Academy would say, because those stories are told in a more of a cinematic way, and it's told in a way that I think has a, a more of a respect to the story, not to belittle television docs or reality programming. Uh, but it's something that is closer to my heart that I know from a cinematographer's point of view that you're going to have a little more voice in the actual storytelling. And uh, so it was great. It was, it was just wonderful. Matthew and, and Chris were just absolutely, absolutely wonderful. I think, as Chris said, we're a family at this point. And, uh, you know, I I travel with a few people, in, you know, in my back pocket. And one of them is Ken King, which is our sound uh, production sound mixer. And Ken is pretty much uh, mixed sound in all of my long-form feature documentaries and some of my commercial work. And it, the, the same thing that a director is to a cinematographer, a cinematographer is to his uh, production sound recorders through Boom Man, particularly in a documentary film, because, you know, you are working together at the hip. You're, uh, you know, the photography, quite honestly, can be crap <laughs> in the documentary, even in a low-budget film. But you better have good sound because you got to know what they're talking about. That's what the reference is a lot of times. So, uh, that's another tip out there for all of you shooters, particularly documentarians that are uh, DPs and, and directors and filmmakers. Make sure uh, you get the best possible production sound person because not only will he get he or she will get the audio, but in post-production it will save you thousands of dollars of trying to do fixes and, and more in editing. You'll be able to use the clips that you want to use rather than try to cut around things or try to manufacture something that you didn't get because the sound was terrible. So, and again, shout out to all the great sound uh, production mixers out there. Uh, probably the most underrated and, uh, and but most important thing in the documentary. Wow, very cool. Chris? Uh, Are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, I was just uh, more of your thoughts. Well, you know, I yeah. When Matt Kurt, his 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 only uh, stipulation was that we also bring on Ken King, and you know, when we looked into who Ken was, he. Uh, Emmy winning, he shot Pulp Fiction, was nominated for BAFTA for that. It was it was it was pretty easy. It was it was pretty easy bringing on Kurt and and Ken, who are by the way a very interesting pair because uh, Kurt leans a little bit uh, to the right. And careful, Ken, careful! I want to work in this town, Chris. <laughs> and, Ken, and, and Ken leans a little to the left. And there would be some interesting debates in the back seat of our van as we were driving through the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania. Uh, but it, it was great. I just it was we had so much fun, and um, and really, Kurt is so Kurt is 
is so knowledgeable, not just in terms of shooting, but just in terms of story and, 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 and in terms of so many things that go into the making of a film. We were really, really blessed, not even lucky, but just blessed that we, uh, in fact, Matthew and I would say over and over again, never to his face, of course, <laughs> we were just so blessed. We we're so thankful to have Kurt and the and the doc looks terrific. It it looks really great. Kurt spent a lot of time, maybe too much time, setting up those those shots for the interviews. They are very painterly. They're just beautiful, beautifully backlit, and and just gorgeous stuff that he would do. Just watch some of those sit down interviews and see how beautiful they are. The color and of course. Kurt was with us all along. We were technicolor in terms of the color correction and doing all that post work. So he was absolutely instrumental from beginning to end. Wow, that's very cool. Well, I, you, it, it, you two guys do have a great relationship. And from what I know of both of you guys, I mean, I would imagine it would be an awesome uh, collaborative uh, production and an awful lot of fun. Now, you were talking about... Uh, 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 you broke up for a little bit when you were talking about the other gentleman, Ken. Can you yeah. um, can you go back just a bit? You were saying he he was on. I, I heard Pulp Fiction and a couple of things, and want the listeners to be able to hear. Yeah, he he's won uh, at least one Emmy. He's he's been on two. I think he shortchanged him by one. <laughs> Two. Well, there we go. Two um, yeah, he uh, was nominated for BAFTA for uh, Pulp Fiction. He did sound on Werner Herzog's Grizzly Man. He didn't go on and on and on. So yeah, he, he just uh, was nominated for Lost, the last season of Lost as well. Nomination. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, you know, Kurt doesn't play around. He brings on the big guns. There you go. All right. Very, very cool. All right. Well, let me check. i got to see how much time we have left here. We uh, actually have about four, well, about uh, three minutes. And uh, this has been absolutely fascinating. But uh, go ahead, Kurt, and, and again, let's talk just very uh, – we're going to do this briefly because we're going to have you back. And uh, we'll let the listeners know when you're going to come back. We'll, we'll continue our discussion about cinematography and, and, and different aspects of it. But I want to talk about your work in documentary features and film and commercials and, and all the different kinds of things you do. But, but Anna Gross, uh, uh, Most Valuable Players, um, but, but tell the films. And how can people see them if they don't already know? You know or, or, Oh, okay, no problem. Uh, well, let's start off. Uh, I'm going to go back uh, in chronological order. Uh, great director, fabulous person, uh, Todd Robinson. Uh, he's the director of a film called Amargosa. And uh, you also might know him. He's a director writer for a fiction film that came out a few years ago called Lonely Hearts with John Travolta and yep. uh, cool. Gandolfini. And he also uh -huh. now is working on his great film, uh, cool film, submarine uh, film called Phantom with Penn Desham, I believe, that you had on your show as his producer. Oh, yeah. No, so that, Todd, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. So, Todd, that's great. That's on the Sundance channel, but I don't know when they play it, but you can get I believe uh, Netflix, you can get it at Netflix, and then you, know, you might be able to uh, guess uh, amargosafilm.com. That might be one. Or you can always go to my site, and then I have a, I have links to all these. So you can go to KurtAptahan.com. Uh, the other uh, film was Go Tigers. Uh, that was also shot uh, for that the group of Todd Robinson, Sidney Sherman, the producer of Amargosa, and uh, Kenneth Carlson. 
uh, a great film about Ohio high school football that's on IFC. It still gets a, quite a bit of play, I believe, on Netflix and I, iTunes. And uh, anybody loves uh, Most Valuable Players, uh, just think of Most Valuable Players set to high school football. And that was shot way back in 19, the season of 1999. It was a Sundance um, selection. Uh, fabulous, fabulous film direct, uh, edited by Jeff Warner. Absolutely great editor. Jeff Warner was a uh, wonderful, uh, fantastic director, obviously Ken Carlson. And that's on IFC, Go Tigers. And then uh, the latest one here that uh, we'll talk about, I guess, is Most Valuable Players. And that will be with... Uh, you know, with Ken Car—I mean, not Ken, that's Ken King did the sound, but that's with Matthew Kalis and then Christopher Lockhart producing, and you can see that at Most Valuable Players Plural Movie dot com, Most Valuable Players Movie dot com, and the DVD of all things is coming out, I believe, on my no- oh the twenty-first of February, so please oh, go cool. to that site. And uh, so those are the you know all great directors. I, I can't even mention uh, you know the literally the hundreds of crew people all over the country. Uh, anywhere from Minnesota, you know, Raleigh, uh, Fort Worth, Nashville, all the great, great crew people I've worked with over the years, fantastic, uh, Amsterdam. Everybody is so wonderful out there in the film world. That, you know, this business is just filled with, with great, uh, again, compassionate and passionate filmmakers uh, out there. Uh, the next thing, though, for me uh, is Saturday we're going to our crew, cast and crew screening for Reboot. A fabulous, oh my gosh, a fabulous short film uh, directed by my really good longtime friend Joe Kawasaki, again produced by Sidney Sherman. You see this theme here, folks? You know, you you kind of run with the same gang once you kind of get in the groove. And again, Sidney Sherman, fantastic producer. He fights so hard uh, to make sure that his directors get their vision. And uh, just and Joe Kawasaki, what a visionary! I I I really hope this film uh, puts him on the map uh, in Hollywood. I'm I'm trying to hook him and Chris and uh, William Morris up this weekend. Hopefully that that will happen with this this film. But anyway, go to my site uh, or reboot. Uh, you can uh, go to my site and get links to this fantastic crew on reboot as well. And then I'll be making my uh, directing uh, debut for fiction film in a short called Anniversary. With my writing partner Mary uh, DeRosa Hughes, I think Mary's actually in the chat room today. Uh, Mary and I've been writing. Yeah, we've been writing a lot. Like all things, you know, in Hollywood, we all have a film in our back pocket. No matter if you're a grip, uh, you know, a transportation captain or a director, <laughs> you always want to make your film. So I'm going to be trying uh, at least uh, this year to to make my move into uh, directing uh, movies, and that way I'll have to put my money where my mouth is, and then um, I'm sure uh, I'll I'll be able to find some great collaborators because, again, all the people I've worked with over the years have been absolutely fantastic. So so that's what we're we're doing this year, and then you can look at our Kickstarter site. I think we're going to launch that under anniversary this coming February sometime. Uh, I just shot our little filmmaker video here in the studio. Oh, my gosh, Rex, you actors, you're not paid enough. Oh, I was there till three in the morning. I had to do it all myself. You know, I'm, I'm lighting it. I'm stopping the camera. I, I it was. I, I had a meltdown. I just. I locked up. I for the first time. I sat there. I'm going. I will never, ever, ever be little <laughs> in my mind an actor again because it's so <laughs> tough being on that side of the camera. It scares me. It's it's terrifying. So anyway, uh, this is much better since you can't see me and I can't see you. <laughs> so, but anyway, that's it. I, and again, everybody out there uh, on uh, in Movie Beat, uh, thanks for for coming in and and uh, sp- spending some time. Uh, it's just a great resource, and I think that uh, the more us as filmmakers uh, get involved here with Rex uh, and and share our you know experiences and our passion 
I think the more that, you know, it will move on the next generation of filmmakers because exactly 30 years ago, this is what I was doing, except I was, you know, going to Samuel French and buying, you know, books and subscribing to American Cinematographer and looking at the DVD, you know, making of documentaries. So uh, that was my film school. Uh, and I think Movie Beats is just uh, the natural extension to that. So, again, Rex, thanks so much for having this forum for us. Well, thank you very much. Now we are out of time. I'm going to let Chris say goodbye as well and, and, and just give a few seconds about what's what's new with Chris. But uh, uh, fabulous to have you here. We'll ha- we're going to have you both back separately, maybe again as, as together, but, but certainly separately sooner rather than later. And I'll see both of you in a couple of weeks. Uh, but, uh, but Chris, uh, heads up for you. First of all, thank you, Kurt, because I tell you, that was really educational. I learned a lot today. Kurt is brilliant. Yes. Uh, the, the collection, the sequel to The Collector, will be out in theaters either late August or in October. We're still trying to find the right date, but uh, that'll be out later this year for sure. Fantastic. Oh, one last thing. I'm, I'm noticing in the chat uh, room here from Gaffer Girls. Oh, I love that. I love that. In my old CB terms, I love that handle, Gaffer Girls. Anyway, uh, no, I don't do Twitter. I'm challenged enough as it is, but you can uh, get me on Facebook for sure. So anybody out there who wants to friend me on Facebook, keep up with uh, what I'm doing and, more importantly, what, what the team is doing. And uh want to be part of our little tribe here, just go ahead and get me on Facebook, and we'll pass information out amongst each other. Uh, and uh, outside of that, I, I, you know, hopefully the next time, Rex, we'll, we'll get more into the weeds if, you, if you'd like to. Oh, absolutely! And Christopher, you're on you're on Facebook. You're on Twitter too, though, aren't you? Yeah, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but you are on Facebook. They can find you there. They can find most valuable players there. And uh, I, I gotta say goodbye. But this has been wonderful, and I'm glad you joined us, Chris and uh, and Kurt. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing this. And and uh, you know what? I'm going to talk to both of you guys just a little bit. All right. So have a great rest of the day, and thank you. Okay, and everybody, go 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 out there and make some turns. <laughs> very cool, very cool. See you, Chris. See you, Kurt. All right, I got to close the show because we're running out of time. But I want to thank Christopher Lockhart for showing up and for Kurt Optuhan for being here and providing. I got 90 seconds, so hey, you know what? Everybody have a fabulous day. Make your movies, complete your projects. Until we meet the next time, I got lots of great guests coming up, so be sure to stay tuned. Paul Weber's up next. You can follow me on uh, Twitter, Rex Sykes Movie BT. And uh, friend me at uh, Facebook, Rex Sykes Movie Beat Friends. Thanks, Kurt. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy your day. Now, spread these around. Share these. Go tweet. Go leave comments. Uh, Help me out in that regard. And uh, have a marvelous day. All right. Bye, everyone. That's a wrap.